0: Book bans are wildly unpopular. They don't buy what the right is spelling about, like, there are litter boxes for furries in schools. Like One, no, there isn't. And two, even if there were, which there aren't, is that as important as what we're paying teachers? Is that as important as making sure our kids are safe from gun violence or safe from bullying? Is that important as facilities funding and the voters that our candidates are talking to really want to get back to that? They want the conversation to stay focused on the things that affect their kids not having an administrator's time wasted dealing with, you know, hundreds of challenges to books from two people who aren't even parents in the district.
1: Hello, this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Amanda Littman, the co-founder and co-executive director of Run for Something. Run for Something recruits and supports young, diverse, and progressive political leaders and has worked with over 100,000 potential candidates. Both co-founders have been on the show before but this time I asked Amanda to catch me up on the continued growth of her team and their current activities. This is a good episode for those interested in how we look for new progressive political leaders. So, after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Amanda with Run for Something.
0: Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from TimePlots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount.
1: So, Amanda... Usually when people first come on the show, I ask them to give a quick biography. You did that back in 2019. But I would love to catch up with you about what's happened at Run for Something, though I did talk to Ross at the end of 2022. From your perspective, since we last talked and since I talked to Ross, what have you guys been up to and what what are the main changes at Run for Something?
0: So Run for Something has grown exponentially since we last spoke. And in fact, exponentially, just in the last year, we have been really fortunate. What size growth. was
1: the exponent?
0: Oh, 3x? Is that, I don't, is that how it works? I, ooh, you're
1: asking
0: <laughs> math. Well, I don't know. We've 3x in the last year. Is that an exponential growth?
1: Well, uh, it, it's it exponential. <laughs> <laughs> it depends, I guess, on the shape of the curve over time.
0: Yeah. Um, let's pretend I know how math works. <laughs> I'm a writer, not a statistician. We have grown an immense amount in the last year, which is... From how-, how
1: many people to how many people?
0: So our staff last November was about 20. We're now over 60.
1: From And how about in terms of candidates that are trying to be run for something candidates or are?
0: We're now up to about 137,000 people in our pipeline. The growth on that front has actually been slower this year, which is a really interesting dynamic and something we can talk a little bit more about how candidate recruitment is going and how we've had to change our tactics over the last year to adjust for the changing context within which we're working. We are expecting more than 400 folks on the ballot this November, which is uh, huge for an off, quote unquote, off year 2023 election. Uh, about 40 some out of those are in Virginia, Let's see 40, 33, maybe 33 in Virginia, including 14 state legislative candidates we're working with school board races, library board races, We've done some really fascinating work around our clerk work initiative, which is our program to recruit and support people running for local election administrative roles, so the people who actually administer elections on the township, county, or or city level. And we just rolled out our 50-state school board strategy, which is a vision for what we can build to be able to protect education anywhere it's under attack, which, as it turns out, is everywhere. So we're really excited about that, too.
1: At least you've set yourself some ambitious goals. You know, shoot for the stars. <laughs> Before we go in deeper about Run for Something, tell me a little bit more about Amanda. Like, how are you doing? It's been a lot of responsibility since you started this. And I know that 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 wears on a person, especially when you have a staff that grows over time to 60 people. That starts to be a lot of management. It starts to be a lot of people needing to get along and needing to be aligned and needing to be led. How are you doing?
0: Good. I am good. (laughs) Your team is so good. The folks that we brought on over the last year have been amazing. Our senior folks, especially are incredible, but at every level, our team is just like so on point and has brought a really refreshing energy. One of the reasons you probably chatted with Ross last, in the end of 2022, uh, was because I was on maternity leave. I had a baby. And anyone who's had a kid Knows how incredibly clarifying that experience is on top of everything else, which is like devastating to your psyche and sleep schedule for a little while and all other things. But also incredibly clarifying in that I have never felt more sure that this is the work that needs to be done because like my daughter deserves it. She needs it. She's warrants it. She's also just the best.
1: What's her name, by the way? Her
0: name is Joe. We call her Joan, but we call her Joe or Jojo.
1: Joe she, with a J-O.
0: J-O. She's, uh, she's like little speak- women. We call her a sleepy Joe, the like, <laughs> leader. She is perfect, She's 10 months old now. Having her one is a very useful focus that isn't work, but it is a different type of work in that when I'm playing with my daughter, I can't be answering emails, and that is good because I shouldn't be answering emails. And she deserves so much more than what this government is doing. And I'm really excited to be able to help change what leadership looks like and what leadership is able to accomplish if not for me then for her
1: depending on which government you're talking about some governments in this country are doing good things and some are doing bad things and some are doing mixed things and the threat of worse things certainly looms so it is a a very tricky time politically i for one am happy that one of the things that came out of the post-trump election flowering of new organizations is yours It just feels like having a candidate recruitment at scale sort of group, you're not the only one in that space, but you've definitely grown to be sizable and and meaningful. That's just a great development. Tell me a little bit about like now, what is the day-to-day for run for something the organization look like?
0: So we're running two big buckets of programming at the same time. The first is our always on recruitment work. So, that's social media, press, events that we're currently running across the country um, called our Unapologetically Progressive Events, inviting people to come talk about running for office. We're rolling out a bunch of stuff around Banned Book Week to get people thinking about running for school board. We're working with influencers for more school board work over the next couple months. We are starting to make big plans for National Run for Office Day, everyone's favorite holiday to get people running for office. We are, in some cases, doing targeted text messages, phone banks, asking people to run for office and helping them, if they say yes, file. We also now have a mix of state staff on the ground in five states. We're currently hiring for a sixth down in Florida, who also manage teams of organizing and recruitment associates, who are going to events, talking to partners, full-time thinking about recruiting people to run for office. So big bucket of work that a big bunch of the team is doing at any given day is asking people to run and then feeding them the content and materials and support that they might need to get to yes and then get on the ballot. Second big bucket of work is our candidate services. So that includes everything from when someone finally files, sometimes pre-filing, but when someone finally launches their campaign all the way through to post-election day. That's everything from helping them write a campaign plan, defining budgets, helping figure out how to raise money, A lot of it is emotional support, meaning being someone who can listen when it gets really hard and help them work through sticky challenges, bringing partners on board for these races, coordinating across partners, reviewing scammy consultant presentations and helping the candidate identify, no, that person says you need to give them $10,000. You don't. Stuff like that. And then we're also always thinking about stuff post-election day for our alumni community. So whether that's Do they want to run again? Can we connect them to each other on the issues they're focusing on? How can we keep engaged with these people for the long haul as part of our talent development?
1: That does seem like a lot.
0: We're busy. You know, 60 people, but we're busy.
1: (laughs) Supposing I wanted to run for office and I, I don't know, went to your website and said, I'm interested. What happens next? Is it typical that someone has identified the office that they're seeking? Is it typical that they haven't you talked about a large number of people and i don't think the political sophistication about running for office runs terribly deep so for your average person what will happen as as they enter your pipeline and what kind of interaction will they have with you
0: first thing they'll do is get an email from our team after signing up at runforwhat.net shameless plug inviting them to a conference call and we run these i think every other week right now where we talk through the same Basic Two dozen questions that every first time potential candidate has. How much will it cost? How do I decide what office to run for? What if I can't win? What if it's a primary? The same questions that everyone has. From there, you have the ability to have a one-on-one with one of our volunteers. We've trained all of our volunteers and given them some specific resources. Part of that is for you as the potential candidate to learn a little bit more about our offerings and to talk to someone who's really invested in helping local races like you and has a wealth of information in front of them. And part of that is so we can learn a little bit more about you. Where are you in this process? All the materials from that conversation is recorded as part of our database and helps us shape how we reach out to you next. You'll start getting emails and text messages from our team. Here's how to file to get on the ballot in the state that you live. Here's an event that we're hosting. Here are six candidate training seminars be happening between us and our partners over the next six months. Thinking about it in the future? Great. Here is a podcast you could listen to or some books to read. Here's alumni that we're working with in your community that you might want to get to know. We just last month had our first local Detroit get-together entirely run for something alumni to talk about how they could help further recruitment causes in their space. If you decide to file and you're ready to get on the ballot and you know what office you want to run for and you've, you've gone through that whole process, you can apply for our endorsement. We want to see your campaign plan, your budget, your win number, how you're going to get from A to Z. We want to screen you for your values and make sure they're in line with ours and really how those values show up in your campaign. Because being pro-choice, for example, it looks different in a school board race than maybe a city council or state legislative race. We do background checks on you. We want to make sure you're being honest with us about what we're going to find. And then if you meet our criteria and are deemed a good candidate running a good grassroots driven campaign, we'll endorse you. And that's where our state staff start to get involved, giving you all the resources
1: you might need. You expect to endorse how many candidates, would you guess?
0: We endorse about half the people who apply. This year, we're at over 400 endorsements, I believe. I expect next year we'll probably hit about 700 to maybe close to 1,000, sort of depends.
1: So when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people in the pipeline, but only less than a 1,000 endorsements, what's the gap there? What am I missing?
0: So in the lifetime of the organization, we've endorsed more than 2,500 people. So if you think about it, everyone who said yes or maybe to thinking about running for office, this is a little bit bigger than just like volunteering for a campaign or giving money or even like showing up over time to state party meetings. It's literally changing your life in many ways. It's deciding in some cases to pick up a full-time volunteer effort. And in other cases, literally changing your job, putting your family on the line. Some of it is in your control, maybe even... 80% of it is in your control, but 20% of it is, you know, when is the race open? When are the filing deadlines? Is the right office available for you based on the problem that you care about solving most? What are the political circumstances? Is the moment that the right office is open also the moment in which something is happening in your personal life that doesn't make sense? We have done some data matching over the years and have basically found cycle over cycle about 10% of the people in our broader pipeline, even as it's grown ultimately get on the ballot. Not all of those apply for Run for Something's endorsement, although we certainly encourage it. And not all the people who apply get endorsed. Endorsements are who we really want to spend most of our time and our resources on.
1: So there's some groups that I'm 100% sure you're aware of, like contest every race. They go trolling through text to push people to run for office. Do you partner with them? Do they send people your way? Is that Does that seem like a valuable service from your perspective? What do you think?
0: We do. We work closely with Contest Every Race. Um, my co-founder, Ross, is on part of the steering committee for the organization. And depending on the project, folks who come through the CER pipeline will come to us. We also do a lot of text banking ourselves. And we've actually found it to be a very valuable way in particularly targeted races to reach people you might not otherwise. For example, in Wisconsin, as part of our clerk work project, we ran about 80,000 Text messages, about 12,000 phone calls over a five-week time period asking people to run for specific local election administrator roles between the November election and then ultimately the first week of January with the filing deadline. Of those nearly 100,000 outreaches, anyone who said yes or maybe had a one-on-one conversation with someone on our team. Of those conversations, about 135 people ultimately filed to get on the ballot. Now, you might look at that pipeline and say like, oh, 100,000 touches, 135 people on the ballot that's a bad conversion rate. It's not. Remember, running for office is a huge change
1: in someone's life. And plus, 135 people might make a big difference. Could make a huge difference.
0: Actually did, because ultimately more than half of them won, including 15 who in the April elections in Wisconsin beat insurrectionists who were on the ballot. Those are people who would not otherwise have run if we had not texted or called them and asked them to consider it. So it's the kind of outreach where it's certainly a different way of reaching people and it does still require the conversation after the yes or maybe, which is what our team has been really focusing on how we can better make those conversations efficient, effective, what we're learning, what we're hearing. But 15 insurrectionists no longer running elections in Wisconsin because of a couple phone calls and text messages is, I think, a huge impact.
1: I've read the same things you've read that a huge, huge number of the offices around the country are uncontested, that people aren't running for them, that there's either incumbents that are untouchable or thought to be or just no one No one has whatever it takes, you've kind of laid it out, the willingness to take it on. Of that vast universe, when you're looking at it, how much is winnable by a progressive? Are are we leaving 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 of these off the table? What what does it look like?
0: Such a good question. We don't really know, which is (laughs) not a satisfying answer. What we do know is that we definitely can't win if we're not on the ballot in the first place. And um, 70% of local races go uncontested. Upwards of 60% of school board races specifically go uncontested. Some of those are certainly Democrats running without opponent, but in every partisan breakdown I've seen, it is predominantly Republicans who are running without opponents.
1: And that's because so many counties are rural and Republican, probably though, right?
0: Well, some of it might be gerrymandering, some of it might be just what the makeup of that population is. But we have found for a lot of the folks we work with, because we really do engage in places that most Democratic organizations don't, we work with candidates in rural areas, in deep red areas. And they're often the first or only Democrat to run for their race in a cycle, two cycles, five cycles. I remember specifically in Georgia ever since the seat had been drawn. And they often win because even in a community that maybe voted for Trump 70 percent or 80 percent, that still means there's 20 or 30 percent who didn't, who showed up for someone else. And especially if there wasn't anyone else on the ballot, you, like you don't know where the opportunity is until you begin to set a benchmark So we think about this really expansively, that even if what our candidate is able to do is move the margin from 70-30 to 60-40, that softens the ground for the next person or for them to run again. It's really a fool's errand in many ways to try and preemptively target candidate recruitment. We should recruit as widely as possible. And then when and if we need to narrow support services, we can and should, but we should recruit as widely as possible.
1: But don't you have a list of all the offices And who holds them and what their characteristics are for all of the, I don't know, it's only like 600,000 or something like that, right?
0: Half a million. No, we're really lucky. We have great partners over at Ballot Ready. Ballotpedia also does a really good job on this. And there's a few other organizations that do some collection, but who sits on a school board in a small county in Missouri is not necessarily the easiest information to find. And that's, I would argue, a bug of our federalist system but has really forced us to do a lot more intense data collection and to really be broad in our work in many ways.
1: So through ready, et cetera, do you have like all of those offices? I know that it gets to, you know, water districts and, you know, you name it. There's lots of elected officials that one doesn't even know about. But how close to a complete list are you?
0: So we have full information from Ballot Ready on all of the offices that one could run for, the filing deadlines for them, the process for getting on the ballot. As for who currently holds the office, not entirely. We do have it for obviously state legislators, county offices, in some so places. So the states
1: don't have that information?
0: Not in a way that is easily accessible and sortable for us. <laughs> one of the things we have really had to grapple with at every point in this is how much do we need to invest in the kind of research and data infrastructure to build it. Simply building the searchable service to find an office you want to run for and how to actually do so was in and of itself a challenge. And any database that was collecting current elected officials, like we have special elections every week, the information would always be changing.
1: Oh yeah, it's constant. One of the things about politics is that people don't realize how complicated it is, how big the country is, how many layers there are. But you said that one of the things you're focusing on is school districts, right? And for a national organization, that's like, that sounds like a new thing to me. Is that new or no?
0: It's not new for Run for Something. It is relatively new for the left generally. This is something that we have identified as a whole in the ecosystem. There's incredible organizations on all sides of the conversation around education, unions, ed reform, legal institutions, literary freedom groups, groups like Red Wine and Blue, who are doing really important work on school board races, often in very particular geographies, places like the Los Angeles school board fight. There's lots and lots of players there, Berkeley, California, Philadelphia, New Orleans, Detroit, what have you. And there was almost no one we could identify working at a national scale on the kinds of local school board races where some of the worst Moms for Liberty candidates were popping up, where some of the most egregious book bans were coming in, and where kids were really feeling the damaging effect of the rights investment in school boards. So over the last year and a half, we started to build out what it would look like. We built this incredible organization, thanks in part to the support of our clerk work funders and to the, the people who've been part of us since the beginning. Um, we now have 20 people who work just on state-specific campaigns services. Um, we're building out our recruitment team even more intentionally on the scaled side. We've built out our compliance infrastructure. Did you know to work in some of these school board races? Like, we've learned this most recently in New Hampshire. We're working with Jessica Spiller as a New Hampshire school board candidate. She's amazing. In order to be able to work really closely on our race in the way we wanted to, we had to set up a pack in the city of Manchester, which, cool. That's a thing I didn't know. Now we have one. <laughs> um So things like that, we have set up the infrastructure to do it in order to be able to work on all. On any given year, there's between 20 and 25,000 school board races. Only half of them happen in November. The other half happen the rest of the calendar year. We needed to make sure that we were fully structured and staffed in order to do always on all of the places recruitment and support. So that's this 50 state school board strategy that we're really thinking about and hoping to build the pilot of next year so that we can ultimately extend it for at least the next five.
1: You've mentioned Moms for Liberty, but there's clearly people who have an interest in changing school boards in a different way than than you and I probably do. How does the balance of power look as you look across the country, and what's the trajectory?
0: You know, the last studies I've seen, and this is a little tricky because a lot of school boards are technically nonpartisan, is that most school boards are about a third Republican, a third Democrat, a third Independent. It's pretty evenly split, which... Maybe is surprising. Maybe isn't. I don't know. It depends on what expectations you went in with it. What we have seen is that at least with the school board candidates we're working with, most of them, what they're hearing from voters are like over some of the bullshit. Book bans are wildly unpopular. They don't buy what the right is spelling about. Like there are litter boxes for furries in schools. Like one, no, there isn't. And two, even if there were, which there aren't. Is that as important as what we're paying teachers? Is that as important as making sure our kids are safe from gun violence or safe from bullying? Is that important as facilities funding? You know, the issues that school boards tackle are in many ways quite boring and so critical to the functioning of the public education system. And the voters that our candidates are talking to really want to get back to that. They want the conversations to stay focused on the things that affect their kids, not having an administrators' time wasted dealing with you know, hundreds of challenges to books from two people who aren't even parents in the district.
1: Do candidates seem more worried about being harassed, personal safety, online annoyances than they were when you first started this?
0: Absolutely. It's something that has really alarmed us as a team and helped us think more about how we can support them. We're still brainstorming a bunch of different structures we could set up especially because a lot of the candidates we work with um, maybe don't feel comfortable and probably rightfully so calling in law enforcement where they're running, depending on the kind of threats they're receiving. But especially women, especially candidates of color, especially queer candidates or LGBTQ candidates, it is risky. And that's a tactic that the right is using to keep these people out from running in the first place. That doesn't make it any easier, but it's worth naming that to, to try and pull the talent out from it.
1: Yeah. Is that one of the explanations for why you're not seeing the same growth in candidacies? Or is that you think that's makes it more unpleasant but doesn't stop people from running at this point?
0: It Changes the people who are running. I'm not sure it necessarily stops people, so much as it redirects the you know, if you're willing to run in this environment, you're brave. You are courageous.
1: <laughs> what do you think is the personality that's required to to serve effectively in politics?
0: Most successful candidates all share the same trait is a really clear-eyed focus on the problem they care about solving. Almost to the point of tunnel vision, but like really extraordinary clarity on why they're doing this. And the why cannot be because they want the power or the title or the glamour because there's no glamour. There's very rarely any money. Most local offices are not paid. You need to know that you are doing this for something much bigger than yourself, for your community. The best candidates we have found are ones who have a sense of humor about some of the the hate, for lack of a better word. And I think when you are leading with integrity and with a clear sense of your values and your motivation, it can be easier to brush off some of the less constructive feedback you might get from your neighbors. It doesn't make it necessarily more fun, but it certainly gives you a framework to be working out of.
1: A lot of the recruitment, for the the more high profile national offices and statewide offices is located in party organizations and other big institutions the emily's lists of the world and so on do you guys have a role up ballot like that.
0: We're certainly in conversation with some of those larger committees. You know, making sure that if the D trip is looking for a candidate in a particular congressional race, we might have an alumni in that area that they haven't thought about talking to. Especially if that alumni doesn't, you know, look like or sound like a normal politician. Similarly, we've built relationships with organizations working in higher races. One of the things I love is that we already have at this point a little run for something caucus in Congress. Jasmine Crockett from Texas and Yadira Carveo in Colorado are both alum. We have at least a couple other currently running. Yasemin Ansari in Arizona. There's likely to be a Georgia congressional candidate from our network. There's a couple others who are sort of starting to surface. and I expect we'll see more, especially as some of this redistricting begins to play out. And I love that part of the goal for this from day one was can we build a stronger, more exciting, more diverse democratic bench. And I'm thrilled that we have been able to do so. And that so far, all the folks we're working with who are moving up into federal office are women of color specifically, or more broadly, people of color. Like what an exciting space to be in.
1: You were talking earlier about kind of candidate services. And I've been lately interviewing a number of startups that are working on technology for sort of the long tail of the market, which is you know the small campaigns. A group called Campaign Brain, which is trying to do AI for candidates to figure out what the next action they should take. A lot of stuff going on there. Have you found tech that is suitable for school board candidates and people like that? Do you have partners of that sort?
0: We certainly do have conversations with all these kinds of companies and when they're appropriate for our candidates, after our team has vetted them, we'll make recommendations to folks. The thing I have found is that for most of the races we work with, the barrier for a candidate is rarely they don't have the technology to do what they want to do. It's they don't have the time or the money. Anything that can save time is always helpful, but you really can't shortcut your way through knocking doors. There's ways to make it more efficient and more effective, but at the end of the day, it's how many many miles can you put on those sneakers? We, I think, have found that, especially if your tech tool for a local campaign requires them to spend any money on it, they don't have any money. (laughs) So the marketplace is really tough. But
1: I would love to be wrong. Does your endorsement come with any help in fundraising?
0: Sometimes. depends on the state and what kind of support we can give. Um, we're right now raising money for our candidates in Virginia through an ActBlue tandem page. We have a network of state packs that allow us to cut checks to folks when we have the resources or when it makes sense to. We have been raising money over the course of the year for various communities. Right now, we're also raising money for uh, Hispanic and Latino candidates running for office as part of Hispanic Heritage Month. We've done similar groupings over the year one of the things that we have found to be most effective for helping people raise money is is helping them get amplification. So basically, any time you've seen one of the local races, especially a young person running in a local race in the national press, it's probably because we connected them with our reporter.
1: When you have taken an organization from a couple people to 20 people to 60 people, a lot of times you develop a growth mindset. Each cycle, I want to do this better and bigger and have more and more impact. Do you think, do you see into the future this is an organization should remain at 60 people and we've kind of hit our sweet spot? Or do you think we need to triple again? Or what do you see down the road in terms of what you'd like to have run for something turn into?
0: I don't think we're tripling again in the next year. You know, it's hard in some ways to look past 2024. <laughs> Mentally, I have a little bit of a block there of, of will democracy survive? I don't know.
1: Well, even if the former president wins, there'll be enormous fights to rein him in.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the future of run for something is probably a little bit bigger than it currently is. I would like us to have deeper state integration. Right now we have state directors in six states. I think it's not crazy to imagine us having state directors in maybe 15 or so with regional staff picking up the rest. My dream is that Jane is walking through the farmer's market in her local town and listening to a podcast and hears an ad on the podcast asking her to run for office and then sees a flyer at the local table, encouraging her to come to the Run For Something event and then goes to the gym And the guy at the gym next to her is wearing a run for something t-shirt and starts talking to her about running for office. And then she goes to the PTA meeting and there's someone in the back signing up folks thinking about running for office. And then she sees her local city council member is also a run for something alum who is encouraging people to run for office. And it's a real 360 full service ask to run and then a way to enter. And I think we need more people and more money to get there eventually. And my dream part two of this is that if in the same way that right now register to vote or volunteer for a campaign is like pretty common part of our civic vocabulary. Like it's really common. Like if you care, go knock doors. I want running for office to be as common as normalized as one of those asks as anything else that One of the reasons I think it has been left out of that conversation is both a gatekeeper hesitation to like open the doors to running for office, which I think we've knocked down that gatekeeper is pretty well so far. The second reason is that once you say yes, a lot of people don't know where to start. So we're trying to make sure that we are as expansive as possible in order to give people that starting point. So hopefully one day you won't be able to escape us and that will be fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If I talk to party organizations that are focused on a specific thing like the Democratic Attorney Generals Association or something like that, they sometimes end up adding services to the electeds after they're in office, because not just on the campaigning side, but because the national organization can provide some things that are valuable to a class of people. Do you do any of that or would you like to? You've elected a bunch of city council members across the country, they may want to keep coming to you for help in between elections.
0: One of the teams we've grown has been our alumni team, thinking really carefully about how we can maintain relationships with folks post-election day, win or lose. We've done a lot of this over the years from community building, like Zooms full of school board members we'd worked with in 2020 to talk about how they were dealing with some of the challenges around COVID, to connecting people who are working on free public transit pilots across the country. We had a bunch of our alum pass anti-hair discrimination laws that would ban discrimination based on someone's hairstyle, which is usually used to discriminate against black men and women. So like if they had dreadlocks or braids or whatever it might be, making that kind of discrimination illegal. We had a bunch of folks who we worked with across the country who were working on laws around that. And we were able to play connect the dots there. We want to do more around that. We definitely don't see ourselves as like a governance support program. We're not here to write model legislation. There are great groups that do that, but we're here to see the trends, connect the dots across the trends, and in particular, treat people as full people. So we've worked with caregivers who have run for office and one, how do you navigate being a state legislator and also a new parent? We now have had a bunch of folks who can do that because many of the folks in our demographic are starting family as we work with people 40 and under. How can we connect them and support them in that way?
1: You mentioned earlier partners. Who are you talking about? Like training partners for in particular.
0: Oh, you name it, we work with them. At this point, our partnership list number is over 400. It includes both national groups, folks you may recognize, like Emily's List and Emerge and Latino Victory Project, Black Campaign School, the Native Leadership Advancement Program, um, which works with Indigenous and Native communities, Disability Victory, which works with candidates with disabilities, and then state-based groups, the Ruth's List and Sally's List and Eleanor's Legacy there's a whole network of uh, even regionally, like within a state organizations, grassroots groups that work with candidates. We really try not to be duplicative. So if there's someone doing work that we can connect our audience to or our community to, excellent. We don't have to do it ourselves. And when we see the hole, we try and fill it.
1: So you're not a training organization. You're more of a referral
0: we have done a little bit of training ourselves. Many of our staff are trainers to the National Democratic Training Committee and the programs they run in person. We're currently running a really interesting pilot program in Arkansas, of all places, to train the trainer, is what we call it. While it didn't necessarily make sense for us to put someone on the ground there, our Southern Regional identified that there was a place with a lot of organic interest in running for office, in particular in Northwest Arkansas, and that the municipal structure of those elections makes it really easy for newcomers to, to get involved. We've been working with a bunch of our partners on the ground there, Progressive Women of Arkansas and Emerge Arkansas in particular, but a few others as well, to host a series of events training people to recruit candidates to run for office. How do you have a conversation? What do you do next? What if someone says, no, not yet? (laughs) That kind of thing. So in that way, we do a little bit of training, but there's really excellent groups that do candidate training that we're able to to refer folks to.
1: What if you learned recently about leading an organization like this that you could share with other people who are trying to do something like that?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. What have I learned about leading an organization? You know, I think clarity on mission, much like for a candidate, is so important for a staff and for a team. One of the things that I think has made us, I would argue, successful so far, is that there is a very clear lane in which we work. We don't do everything. What we do is recruit and support young diverse progressives running for local office. Some stuff that one might want to do can be very good and interesting and necessary, but it doesn't mean it's what Run for Something does. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing to do. It's just not what Run for Something does. And that means that we and often Ross and I have to say no to a lot of stuff. There's really good ideas that are not necessarily run for something's ideas to execute on. That is very hard. Saying no is very hard. And it is so important to keeping your team focused and to not letting your mission creep beyond what you want to accomplish.
1: Well, what's the best idea you heard that you wish someone else would take on?
0: Oh, I'm always dreaming of someone to do like a updating Schoolhouse Rock, but for 2023 civics. <laughs> I think that there is a world in which you could have incredible TikTok content, Instagram content, platform agnostic content, really explaining like, what does a school board do? What does a state legislator do? You can imagine the little like bill from, I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on my Jefferson City, Capitol Hill. Welcome to Missouri. Here's how your state legislature works. That might actually have fallen room for something, Scope of Work, but it, was not more important than everything else we were doing. And we are not a creative studio necessarily, but one day maybe someone will do that.
1: What else would you like people to know about the current incarnation of run for something that you haven't already mentioned?
0: One of the things that, um, I hear a lot when I have conversations with people is like, this feels like such an obvious idea. Like it clearly makes so much sense for making such an impact. Like you, fundraising must be so easy. (laughs) Wow, it's not. Um, We are, unlike most campaigns and unlike even most electoral organizations, we do not scale down to zero. Right now for us is, yes, busy time for our 2023 candidates, but it's also a critical conversation period for 2024 recruitment. The first filing deadlines for 2024, for the state legislative races at least, will hit in December 2023 in Texas. There is no off-season. We cannot scale down without it having a direct impact on our work. As I mentioned before about school boards, it's always election day. We have elections basically every week throughout the year, maybe a small break like for Christmas and then for July 4th. It is always election day and it's always recruitment season, which means at the end of 2024, we need to be as fully cash positive as we are right now. Which is a long way of saying that if you are someone who's listened to this conversation all the way to the bitter end, you are the best kind of person to give us five dollars
1: <laughs> or more.
0: <laughs> more, I'll take mil- five million, but five is also good.
1: Yeah. D- do you use your um, your network of candidates to help raise money?
0: No, uh, not beyond like joining us at events and you know speaking on our behalf. But no, no, no one who receives support from us, financial or otherwise, ever has to give us a cent. That was really important to us and I think is part of living our values in terms of being a, a diverse community of candidates, knowing that for some people, access to wealth is really difficult.
1: But they could share their donor list. They could send out an email on your on your behalf. I mean, that's a, lo- a lot of people that maybe have great experiences with you that could be part of that. What's the hang up about that?
0: people who volunteer to do it occasionally who would like ask if they can, but we really want to be the support system for candidates and not feel like they have to pay us back for anything. That just isn't the role we want to play here. Maybe one day we'll change your mind. Maybe we're leaving money on the table. You have me convinced maybe we're leaving money on the table, but I think it's really important for us to be, we are there for them. They are there for their communities. That's the, cha- the chain of command.
1: I don't know. I think if I were, if I were a candidate and I benefited from services from an organization like yours. I wouldn't want to be done, but I certainly might want to feel like I had the opportunity to be helpful at some point.
0: You know, if someone has to choose between sending an email to their list to raise us, I don't know, a couple thousand bucks or spending an hour every two weeks talking to one of the candidates we're currently working with, mentoring them and supporting them, that is a higher value add for us than the couple thousand dollars we may raise from an email list.
1: Well, a couple thousand times. Anyway, I, I don't mean to press that. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And I, I'm glad you're out there doing this. Is there anything else you want to say?
0: You know, I think you pointed out something when I noted how 2025 is hard to imagine. No matter what happens in 2025, this work will still be important. School boards will still be under attack. State legislators will it still be
1: waiting. It may be increasingly. I mean, if you look at countries that have know, fallen under a right-wing authoritarian leadership, the fight does not end. It gets harder and and more important. And obviously, we don't want that to happen. We have a vibrant democratic culture that goes back all the way, and it it must be maintained.
0: I agree. And I think even on the issues that you know, I look now, what do I wish for the Democratic Party had done 10 years ago that might have made it a little easier for Joe Biden now? The stuff that he's really grappling with is things that he doesn't have a ton of control over. He can't do it. I mean, there's some he could do on housing, but housing is a state and local level. Had we made more progress in electing like pro growth folks on the local level, that might have been changed the dynamic. But hindsight is 2020. Looking forward, what do we think in 2034 we will wish we had done? I think it's the work that run for something is doing
1: now then you're in the right spot uh, as a career. And I I appreciate your work. That was Amanda Littman. She is at runforsomething.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.